Hello everyone, I hope you're keeping well and welcome to our new Rapid Insight series where we are looking at SCA rules for UK regulated funds. In this series, we are focusing specifically on rules which may be of particular relevance during the current period of market uncertainty and which you may have not had the occasion to consider previously. Firstly, let me start by introducing myself. I'm Andrew Desmond and I'm a managing associate in our institutional managers team. My specific focus is assisting managers on their UK regulated fund ranges. In this podcast, I will be giving you a really quick overview of the specific FCA rules relevant to cross trades. And for what I'm discussing here, a cross trade is very broadly speaking, where you have a party connected to the fund or its manager. The term the FCA rules use is affected person, and this includes the authorised fund manager, investment manager, their associates, among others trading with the relevant fund in another capacity, so on own account or perhaps as investment manager for a different fund. To illustrate this, let's take Desmond Fund Management Limited, which is the authorised fund manager of the Desmond UK Equity ICBC, a standalone usage scheme, and it's looking to offload some stock positions in the fund's portfolio. As it happens, Desmond Fund Management Limited is also managing another standalone usage scheme, called the Desmond Global Equity ICVC, which would be better suited to the positions and could take them on within its objective and policy. The cross-trade will therefore occur when the stocks are sold for UK Equity ICVC and bought for the Global Equity ICVC. The key thing here to consider is the potential for these sorts of trades and other transactions, which I won't cover, but fall within the same bucket, to create conflicts of interest. Taking into account an authorised fund manager's duty to act in the best interests of each scheme and its unit holders. So it's no wonder the FCA has some pretty specific rules designed to deal with these types of transactions and ultimately mitigate the risk that they cause harm to a scheme. So why are we talking about this in the current climate? Well, I think cross-trades could be seen by some managers as a potentially attractive option available to them to, for example, deal with liquidity constraints. If one fund's holding less liquid stocks and has had a recent run on redemptions, then it might be seen as a way out to move those positions to the more liquid portfolio of another fund that is weathering the storm a little better. Managers, however, in my view, need to be pretty careful about using trades like this in the current climate in particular, and need to consider the FCA rules on conflicts of interest generally, but in particular the cross-trade specific rules, which you can find in Chapter 6 of the Collective Investment Scheme Sourcebook, and the reference is Coal 6.6.17R. The starting point, and this is key, when considering any cross-trade, is that it's not permitted. The rules provide that the authorised fund manager and the depository must take reasonable care to ensure that a cross-trade is not carried out on behalf of the scheme. And I should note the rules don't use the term cross-trade, but it's helpful for the purposes of our discussion. The important thing also to note here is that the prohibition and the specific rules apply to the authorised fund manager even where it is not initiating the trade or undertaking it. So for example an authorised fund manager will need to ensure through contractual provisions or other means that delegate investment managers do not undertake cross trades for the scheme it's managing unless an exception applies and that's what we're going to cover in detail here. So the rules do allow three specific exceptions to the general prohibition, which can be loosely described as best execution on exchange, independent valuation, or arm's length transaction. Now, the exception you'll need to apply depends on the assets in question and the relevant circumstances. 
but it's worth flagging that the usual and perhaps easiest route will be the first exception. Each exception is designed to make, mitigate the risks of any conflict impacting negatively on the scheme. So let's look at the first one, best execution on exchange. To fall within this exception, a number of conditions, as you would expect, need to be satisfied. Firstly, the property must be an approved security on an approved derivative within the rules. So for securities, that means traded on an official listing in an EA state or otherwise on an eligible securities market. So this can't apply to the trash bucket of your uses, for example. Secondly, the transaction must be affected under the rules of the relevant exchange or with or through a person who is bound by those rules. There must also be evidence in writing of the affecting of the transaction and of its terms. And critically and ultimately, the authorised fund manager needs to take all reasonable steps to ensure that the transaction is affected on the terms which are the best available for the scheme. And it's this final condition which is perhaps the one that requires the most care as it involves a degree of subjectivity on the part of the authorised fund manager in making the assessment. So if option one won't work, your next and perhaps more tricky route, which could be used to the trash bucket, is the independent valuation exception. Now this will involve some cost and the input of the depository, which ultimately needs to stand behind the transaction, as we'll see. There are two conditions that need to be satisfied here. Number one, the value of the property being bought and sold needs to be certified in writing for the purposes of the transaction by a person approved by the depository as independent of the person undertaking the trade and qualified to value the property of the relevant kind. Two, the depository then has to be of the opinion that the terms of the transaction are not likely to result in any material prejudice to unit holders. Given the process involved, I'm not really sure how often this route is used or indeed the willingness of depositories to provide an opinion on these terms. So in practice, this might not be a workable solution for managers. Finally, looking at exception three and failing all else, there is also the arm's length transaction route, which can only be applied if option one, best execution on exchange, is not satisfied. For example, you're looking at a security that isn't an approved security and it is not reasonably practical to obtain an independent valuation for the purposes of option two. So you have to rule both those out. The transaction will then only satisfy the arm's length requirement if it is at least as favourable to the scheme as any comparable arrangement on normal negotiated terms at arm's length between the authorised fund manager or its investment manager and an independent party. And those are normal commercial terms. The depository also is required to have reliable evidence that a transaction is or will be on terms which satisfy the arm's length requirement. So again, given the process involved and the conditions to be satisfied, I suspect this route is rarely used as well. So now we've covered all the exceptions briefly, a key takeaway to flag is that whatever exception you're looking to utilise, it's going to be critical to ensure that your conclusions and the input required of the depository, where applicable, is well documented and that appropriate sign-off is received and recorded on whatever decision is reached. I hope this is helpful to you, particularly if you might already be looking at these rules, but please do not hesitate to get in touch if you have any queries you might need our help with. Thank you. Thank you.